Welcome. This is Karen Mudakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Back when my kids were in preschool, we went to this darling preschool. It was a cooperative. My husband worked most of the parent days, but there were so many things that I loved about the school. I loved the property that it was on that was nice and spacious where the kids had the ability to roam around. It was a preschool based in play. It really aligned with our family values. And one of the things that I took from there now that I have a daughter who's 21 and another who's 20 and two other older kids who also went there. But one of the things that I've taken away and I really used at the end of last year and going into this year was to transition from one thing to the next. And what it is, is birthdays. And so they would do a birthday celebration for the kids and they'd be three, four or five years old, you know, transitioning to the next age. And one of the things it was goodbye for hello five. And I always loved that. It was honoring the four-year-old and saying hello to the five-year-old. And it's something that has stuck with me all these years. And what I've done this year or towards the end of last year is I kept thinking, oh, do I, you know, say happy new year or, and well, is it going to be happy? (laughs) I go back to like 2019 when we had all those 2020 glasses and it was going to be new decade, new, you know, all these great things and look what 2020 brought. So I'm not trying to dress rehearse tragedy. I'm actually committing to the best case scenario and managing risk. And I also want to be really deliberate with the words that I use. I don't know if it's going to be happy new year. There's going to be some happiness and there's going to be sadness. There's going to be great things and there's going to be pain and everything in between. And so when I thought about how do I want to close out 2021, which for me at this point had been one of the hardest, if not the hardest year of my life, how do I want to bring in this new year? And really knowing it's more of a cultural construct of January being a new year because it's not like waking up January 1st, I'm any different or life is any different, right? That had I not known what day it was on the calendar, I wouldn't have been significant in my day-to-day life. So instead of saying happy new year, I have been saying hello 2022, goodbye 2021, hello 2022. And that makes it a little awkward (laughs) when you're seeing somebody for the first time, because how many times do people like in the beginning of the year say, oh, happy new year. I hope your holidays were great, right? There's so much emphasis. It's about wanting to recognize and I see you. So I've been saying, letting people know that I've been saying hello, 2022, and I give it a quick little backstory, or even today, I instead of even addressing the new year, I said, how are you today? Right? So that is something that is an example of a concept that I came up with a long time ago, many years ago, where life is a classroom. Look around in your life and what are things that you can, from a compassionate observer, look at and learn from, and then apply in another arena of your life. 
that was something that I learned decades ago when my kids were in preschool. And it was really, you know, you'd have the birthday parties, your kid would go through the birthday parties. And it could be just one of many ordinary moments in your life. And for me, it became something that was teachable decades later, right? You know, almost 20 years later, well, depending on which child, but around 20 years later, where it became something where it gave me a format that felt comfortable for me in my life. So I give you this in terms of, if you don't want to say happy new year, here's an example or find an example in your own life too, is life is a classroom. We don't need to go looking for teachable moments, especially the tragedies. They're more than happy to show up. And there's so many places that we can learn. And I remember I was standing in line to drop off for my daughter and a friend of mine, a parent who's a parent, and he's a chemistry professor. And he was a phenomenal chemistry professor. And he taught at the community college and just phenomenal. And a lot of the university professors would recommend students go to his chemistry class because he was so good. And so anyways, one day we're standing in line and he looked at me and he goes, Corinne, there's so much science that's being taught at this preschool. And it's not that they had science time and it wasn't even identified in it, but it was the things that they did. And there was so much learning that was going on it just didn't look like learning like when you're walking into an elementary school or junior high or high school or university and we're saying, oh, this is science time and it's got to be this. The science was incorporated into their day-to-day lives at the school. And sometimes it was him bringing in sand. I remember he brought in this one sand. I don't remember the whole thing. It's magic sand or something. And there was so much science about it, but they weren't being told this is a science lesson and you must learn it. It was more of coming from that place of play and let's learn and be curious. So that's my invitation for you is using your own life as a classroom. And maybe this show and other podcasts and books can be instigators of where can you look for information without it being a lesson you must learn and you must master and achieve, but learning what are the things, what are the nuggets that you can take and then apply in your own life. What I learned from preschool or from my kids' preschool was something that I could apply in my life now. And it was goodbye 2021. Hello 2022. I'm here for you 2022, all that it will bring. And we're going to now talk about what to do when in fear, because when we start something new, that's one of the things that comes up. So in today's show, I'm going to talk about fear, the fear of failing, the fear of making mistakes, the fear of choosing the wrong job or the wrong partner or the wrong decision. And then how you respond to fear. Do you hide away or do you fight or do you flee? And which can be even look like quitting. And then I'm going to talk about a better way. So as I talked about, this is the start of the new year. Maybe we'll listen to this at some point later in this year or in future years. But as I'm speaking about this today, this is the beginning of the new year. It's in January, mid-month. And the word that has come up a lot, especially this week with my clients is fear, you know, and especially as I'm checking with them, how are they feeling? There's fear. And it's not that they don't, you know, my clients are cultivating emotional intelligence and an awareness within inside of themselves of what are they feeling and understanding what their thoughts are but there's this fear. So a few examples I have is, you know, one of my clients has an interview for a job 
And that sounds like a great thing. It's like, here's a job. It wasn't something he sought out for. He's being recruited. So, right, like we love the idea of being found and picked and being chosen, right? Instead of putting ourselves out there, it's like, oh, somebody chose me. Now, here's the thing. Before he goes into the interview, guess what's showing up? Fear. And our brains are so great at dress rehearsing tragedy because your brain has a job to do. It's here to keep you alive. It's here to keep you safe. So oftentimes, while we love to dream and scheme about new things and new beginnings or great jobs, when the reality hits the pavement, what can happen is like, all this dress rehearsing tragedy, right? It could be the fear of losing your job. Like maybe you get it, you leave this other job that you had that you didn't need to leave and then you lose this job in a few months. Or the fear of leaving colleagues and friends behind in the job and will you make new friends and colleagues? You know, they could be the fear of not knowing how to do the job. These are drivers of fear that I'm constantly coaching on with clients as they go through their own change. We all have change that we go through. Okay. So one is getting really clear of what are you afraid of going into that? What's the fear and getting clear about that. Another client that I have has had a huge transformation. She's created huge transformations in her life. She's done a lot of deep work. She has a new career, something that she's really purposefully and deliberately designed and sought after to create. She has a new life partner at some point in her life. She didn't believe that was possible for herself. And this is what, you know, movies are made on storybooks, right? This is the storybook of do your work, leave your job that no longer fulfills you and find the love and relationship you deserve. It's like, poof. And now they live happily ever after. (laughs) So this is always the part of the story. I'm like, okay, I want to see what happens next. I want to see the amazing life and the shit shows, not just the fairy tale of, oh, they go off into the sunset and they're happily ever after, right? So when we have a new start, a blank canvas, so to speak, fear comes up there with new starts. And oftentimes when my clients get exactly what they want, they think, oh, I'm going to feel, be so happy and excited and fulfilled. And I always know, wait for it, Corinne, wait for it, it's coming. And then that fear shows up. And this is often the chapter in that storybook of live happily ever after that we don't see and isn't talked about. So it's really important to understand like the fear comes up. What are the stories? And oftentimes, did I make the wrong decision? Or what if it doesn't work out? What if the money isn't what I want it to be? What if I fail? What if I make a mistake? Well, so here's the thing about making mistakes. We are going to make mistakes. Potentially there can be learning as long as we can bounce from those mistakes. We can't learn from mistakes. It's much harder if there's something that's so detrimental that you can't come back from. So an example of this, we'll go back into my swimming is we commit to the best case scenario and we manage risks. So when we have new kids that join the team, the mistake we can't bounce back from is a kid drowning and dying, right? That's not something that is good for us. It's not good for the kid. It's not good for our family. It's not good for the trust we built within the community, right? We may teach a skill set and it may not land with the kids. Kids may have a struggle. They may miss a race. We may tell them something that is outdated. It's a mistake. So it's an outdated technical advice. That's okay. We can circle back and we can clarify. 
So making mistakes that we can bounce from versus mistakes that we can't. So you're going to make mistakes. And in the context of we make mistakes all day long, maybe you put the glass in the dishwasher wrong, right? Especially according to the way that your new partner likes to do it. Okay. That's an opportunity to have conversation about what's the best way to do it for this machine, right? And does it align? So it's not about not ever making mistakes because oftentimes those are opportunities to have better communication. We just don't want to make the mistakes that we can't bounce back from. Okay. And oftentimes when we get really clear on, especially in a new relationship, new job, what are those mistakes? Get clear on what that is and manage that risk. So there's all this fear. Now with the fear is putting it out in front of us and seeing it and owning it and understanding it. Not when you're in the moment of, okay, I'm in fear, I'm in threat and I'm in danger. But when you're sitting here dress rehearsing in the tragedy, unpack it like we are. And then look at, okay, how do I respond to fear? Are you a hideaway? Do you numb yourself on social media or in busyness or just not taking action, just kind of standing there. And I have different scenarios for each one. And I can remember at different times in my life where I was watching violence happen in front of me. I was a kid and I just froze. I didn't, I didn't know what to do to go get help or anything. And I froze. And that was the skill set that I had at the time. So without judging yourself, just noticing what is your go-to, you know, another skill set that is fighting. Like I'm really good at fighting, right? I, I talk about gladiating and gladiating on others or, you know, inner gladiating on myself and fighting, fighting back with people. And then the other one is fleeing. And sometimes that looks like quitting. So when you have this, like you have this interview and maybe you're, you're have fear and your way to respond to it is to cancel the interview. Just notice how do you respond or how do you want to respond? and own that and don't judge yourself, love yourself. And then let's work further onto this. Know what your go-to strategy is. Some of us tend to be more fighters versus fleers or hideawayers, right? Like, and just pay attention. And it depends on the different circumstance, right? The different arenas. Are you in a position of power, of leadership? Are you not, right? So paying attention to that. So I want to talk about long time ago, I used to teach beginning swimming at the college and it's students who either wanted to learn how to swim. We're an indoor pool. Some of them, they needed a unit to maybe complete their financial aid package, to be full-time, to finish their PE degree. And they decided swimming was the least worst way to do it. Some of them had a desire to learn. I had a client, they had a Chinese restaurant and they were retired and her husband wanted to go on a cruise. And Susie (laughs) goes, "Hmm, I am not going on a cruise until I know how to swim. And now the logic behind that, right, has some flaws because if you're on a cruise ship and the cruise ship does go down, now that I've heard of cruise ships going down, you're probably really far from shore to be able to swim back in. But this was what she needed to do and wanted to do. And so it took about two or three semesters of and where she became finally proficient. I have a pretty high standard for proficiency to be able to swim for 10 minutes continuous without stopping. And she did go on that cruise but she wouldn't get in the pool. And her response was, well, Corinne, you weren't on the deck for me to feel comfortable to get in the pool, but she went on the cruise. So, but she, like many other students had 
a lack of access to swimming as a child and had this fear of the pool represented danger, right? Here's something that I don't know how to do. And I have heard a lot of scary stories of people drowning. And I've also had other students who had at one point in their life, seven, eight years old, a near drowning experience. And so now coming in as an adult or as a senior citizen saying, I want to learn how to swim because I no longer want this to weigh down on me. And I'm really deeply afraid. So they would join beginning swimming. Like that's the place to come. And the beauty is, is that when you're around a bunch of adults learning how to swim, there's a nice common humanity about it versus I've known adults who are like, I don't want to go to the swim school that my kids go to because that's where little kids go and the shame effect there. So if you don't know how to swim and this is something that inspires you, look for a community college, look for a city program, a recreational program where they have lessons in groups. It's a great way to learn how to swim. Now, my students would come and I would set the expectation of like, look, this is the goal. This is the desire to be proficient in swimming. And our ultimate goal is to be able to swim for 10 minutes continuous without stopping. Now, these are people that didn't even like either couldn't put their face in the water for five seconds or didn't even like to. And now I was saying that they were going to swim for 10 minutes continuous. They were looking at me like I was crazy. And that's okay. There was so much disbelief, but they wanted to do it and they had this desire. So, you know, there were a lot of other obstacles to face, but we would get in and we would bob. And now the pool that we were in was three and a half feet deep. There was another pool in the facility. It was all indoors. And it started at like four and a half feet deep and went to 13 feet. We never would go onto that side. And I would remind them that that's not the side that we're going to go. We'll always be on the side where you can stand up. And I would remind them that over and over and over. And in the beginning, especially in the first probably four to six weeks, we would do this thing called bobbing. And bobbing is where you're jumping up and down and you're going underwater. And it was a way that I found that I could teach them comfort in the water and balance and air exchange. And that cultivating those skill sets was really important in developing to swim. And that wasn't the only thing we did, but that was one of the things that we did. And it also helped them get warm because... For those of you that don't swim, when you first get into a pool, even warm pools at 82 degrees, it's cold at first. So we do this bobbing. Now, one of the things is that, remember, we're learning how to balance, right? Because in the pool, it's a weightless environment and you're jumping up and down. Plus you have this fear. They're walking into this pool with fear, maybe some excitement, often a lot of dread. Like, why did I sign up for this class? Why am I here? You know, and the desire to learn how to swim, but there's also fear. So I would remind them that if they lost their balance, if they were uncomfortable, if they started to feel fear, they could all stand. And that was really, really important for them to remember that they could stand and that people do drown in shallower water than we were in because when they get into fear and get into panic and they get into that freeze mode, they could just drown because they're like so freaked out that they can't see what's right in front of them. So this is an example of in your own life, when do you forget to stand when you are in shallow enough water where your head can come up and you can have full air? Where do you forget to stand? Remember how life is a classroom. Here is something that people can drown in water. They can get uncomfortable. They can choke. They can slip. They can stumble, right? Fortunately, in my beginning swimming classes, nobody ever drowned. 
had people lose balance. I had people stumble. You know, it was very awkward. There were a few times that I thought, and I was out of the water. I was on the pool deck and I thought, today may be the day that I'm going in. And I, and I unfortunately never went in to the pool for those classes. It, it was always worked out. And there were these very uncomfortable moments from time to time as people were, it was like almost this battle of, is fear going to overtake or are they going to remember, I can stand, I'll get my footing. And becoming comfortable with the stumbling, right? The loss of balance. And then the beauty in all of that is the students who saw others struggle, there was that common humanity of like, oh, I'm not the only one. Because how often when we're in fear, we think we're the only one. And then we judge ourselves and beat ourselves up more. So not only do we have fear, but we have shame as well. So when you go through this and experience with other people and you remind yourself that you can stand, you're not alone. You realize that you don't have to do it perfectly. And the other thing that the benefit of doing it with others is seeing others able to do it there's a bit of inspiration in there, right? There's some, it's about possibilities. Like, well, so-and-so can do it. I can do it. Especially when you think about, you know, as we age and sometimes we will dismiss people who are elders because they're older or they're more frail and you see, oh, they're 86 and they have fears too, but they just did that. So if that's possible for them, what is possible for me? And Doing it with groups, doing it with others creates a possibility, right? As well as there's an accountability. Maybe you don't want to do it or today's not the day you go, I want to get in the pool and swim or I want to face my fear. But guess what? You signed up for the class or you signed up for the group or whatever it is. You said yes to this commitment. And so you're going to be there and you're going to do it. And so the beauty is, is that my students, they go through this process and they would learn how to swim, Right. We would work on it. I was honest with them about how long it took, you know, in this quick world. And this was a different couple decades ago, but, you know, in this quick transactional world that we live in, it's like, oh, I went to a swim lesson. Therefore, I should know how to swim. No, it takes a lot longer than that, especially the standard I have. It's about 100 to 150 hours. And if you're older, you have more trauma, it can take longer. So giving yourself that space to show up and practice. Right. So eventually my students learned how to swim and is because we set the expectation and I reminded them constantly. When you start to get uncomfortable, remember you can stand up and guess what? As we learned other skills or as we worked with other tools, there's these things called long fins and somebody who had grown up using fins throughout my life and was very comfortable in the water. I didn't have the perspective. I lacked the perspective of understanding how difficult it could be to be wearing long fins and to stand up. I didn't realize that if you didn't have a huge amount of core strength, it could throw you off balance. And then if you have fear, you could start to be, start the drowning effect. And so by going through that mistake as the teacher and not realizing that and seeing it, I really quickly turned and pivoted for my students. One of the things I taught them how to do was instead of being on their tummy, going to standing, I had them be on their tummy and roll over to their back and then stand up. That way they had air. They could stand up. It was a lot easier to get your feet on the ground with your heels versus the front of your fins. And they would stand up and they learned that. So they had another skill set in their toolbox which added to their comfort of being in the water and them having more control. So 
one of the things that I remind myself of is that swimming is a learnable skill set. We can have past traumas. There's tremendous risk that's involved, but it's something that's learnable. So when I step into something where my own fear ignites, I check in, is this something that I can learn? Right. And if it's something I can learn, I remind myself that I'm resourceful. I can figure things out. And that's the message I tell myself over and over. Or I can even say, this is a learnable skill set over and over. That's what I did with my students. I continued to tell them throughout the semester if you're in panic, remember you can stand up. So at first, when we were bobbing, later on, when they were pretty comfortable in the water and they could swim a bit. And then when we throw on the fins, all of a sudden that comfort went away because there was resistance with the fins and moving it through the water, maybe a lack of strength and balance. And so I reminded them they could stand up and then here's maybe a way to pivot on the standing up instead of going directly from horizontal to vertical. It was about rolling onto their back because it was much easier to get their feet on the ground. Okay. So before you step into the arena that is creating the thought of the fear, right? The dress rehearsing tragedy, all the stories. Think about what you need to remind yourself of your truth, right? We went through and we identified what the fear is. We identified the feeling. We identified the stories. Then after that, go through and say, what is your truth? What do you know about yourself no matter what? What do you know? What do you do? no matter what, right? So if your fear is about the story of losing a job, have you overcome that before? And if you have, take a look at that. How did you overcome that? What were the steps involved, right? If you haven't lost a job and that's your big fear, right? Where in your life can you pull from about a loss of something and how you overcame that? And then what was the key message? right? I'm not asking for the blueprint of how you did that, but what was it? Was it, I can learn new things. I'm good at figuring things out. I am resourceful, right? What is that belief that you can, it's short, it's sustainable. I can stand up. That was the thing that we said in beginning swimming, stand up. You have the ability to stand up. You are in water that is shallow, right? So you can put your feet on the ground and stand up. So years ago, when I was in college, I went to England for a couple of weeks and didn't have much money. And I went and I made some decisions that totally broke all my money rules. Like don't ever have credit card debt, so on and so forth. Well, guess what? Between not working and going to England for a couple of weeks and overspending a bit, I had came back with a $500 credit card bill. And at the time, that was a significant amount of money. I was probably making between... I don't know, seven and on some jobs, maybe up to $10 an hour. So that was a lot of money for me back then. And I had the shame of, I know better. I shouldn't have done that, right? I could have sat there and hid away with that and allowed the credit card debt to rack up with the interest rates and so on and so forth and just beat myself up and actually just continued on that downward spiral and had turned that $500 credit card bill into $1,000. But instead, I own that story to myself. And I didn't know about own your story and love yourself, right? I just knew that this was a problem and I didn't want it to escalate. And so I wound up getting some sub coaching hours 
with this team in town where I worked extra hours to work on paying off that debt over the next month or two. And the other thing that was really important to me, because it was part of my values was my boyfriend at the time offered, he's like, well, why don't you just, I'll just pay off your credit card for you. And as a, you know, strong female who didn't want anyone to be the boss of me or control of me, I was like, oh, absolutely not. Thank you so much. But I will work extra and pay this off for myself. That was a really important principle at the age of 21 that I had. So that was a really good lesson for me of like, oh, I did this. Now, again, going back into life as a classroom, right? What were some of the fundamental principles? I owned it. I looked at here was the result of some choices I made. I didn't judge it. I knew, of course I knew better, but I didn't do it. So with this problem, what are ways that I was going to work on solving it? I could have asked my parents for money. I could ask my boyfriend. I really wanted to be responsible for it. So I went and did extra work. It wasn't, you know, like I'm sure there was other things that I wanted to do versus, you know, coaching in the evening, making some extra money, but it was something that I did. The most important thing is, is it taught me to trust myself or that I can figure things out. So that was a message that what did I know about myself, no matter what moving forward is I can figure things out. That belief has helped me overcome so much fear in my life. I can figure things out, right? Another one is I am resourceful, right? Those two beliefs are the ones that help me. Now you have to be honest with yourself. Like there's some fears that I'm not willing to figure out. Like I am not going to go climb the front. I don't even know what it's called, but, but like free solo, like I am not going to go climb the front side of half dome in Yosemite. That's not something I'm remotely interested. I'm not even interested at this point in my life of zip lining anymore. I used to love to zip line. And over the years, I slowly stopped loving it and got so afraid. And I finished the last one that I did. I can't even remember when it was, maybe 2012, 2013, a 40 minute zip line course took my family over two hours because I had so much fear. So I finished it, but I never want to go back. That's not a fear that I want to face, right? And that's okay. I give myself that permission. But as you go through your life, you know, maybe it is a job interview, maybe it's a relationship, you know, what is that new thing that all of a sudden is something that you desired and now all of a sudden you're noticing fear and what is your tendency? Is it to not go in and step in and do it because you're afraid or are you freezing, right? Or are you creating fights with other people because you're trying to distance yourself from your own fear that you're feeling instead of doing that? check in with what are the stories that's creating that fear? What are you afraid of? And then what do you know about yourself that is true? And tell yourself that over and over and over again, as you step into the arena, always managing the risk. And as you pursue the life, the goal that you have, that you want for yourself. And when you do this, one of the key elements that's so important is compassion because compassion is what leads to change, right? So when I'm talking about the swimming and learning how to swim, when I'm talking about, you know, money and the debt, it was compassion that led to the change, not the judgment, right? The compassion, right? Compassion day in and day out is what allowed those skill sets to develop for my students. And I'm sure I judged myself for a moment, like, how did I do this? I know better. I didn't want to be bad with money. And why did I do this? Well, none of that actually helps find, I can feel the tension in my body. I mean, I'm 49, I was 21 at the time, and I feel the tension in my body as I speak to myself that way. 
as an example to you. Judgment either stops us or it ignites us into fight, right? And what I do know for sure after the last couple of years is we're all really tired, right? So often many people that I'm talking to, we're tired. We have been in this, you know, fight, flight, or freeze mode. We've been using so much adrenaline to figure out how to navigate the past couple of years. So do you really have it in your adrenals for another fight? And instead of fighting, my invitation for you is to look at this, use compassion and empathy, take in the perspective. What are the stories that's creating this fear? What's really the risk here? You know, and what do you know about yourself no matter what? So in closing, fear is an emotion and it's powerful. I get it. It's a powerful emotion It's here in our bodies to keep us alive because that's what our brain's job is to do, to make sure we're safe. The obstacle is that our brains are hardwired for story and we're really good storytellers, right? We're really good at dress rehearsing tragedy. We're really good at taking stories that we may know a bit about and applying it to ourselves. Like, oh, well, this happened to so-and-so. They lost their job, so that could happen to me. But are you like that person? What were the ingredients that went into that person losing their job? And is that what you do? So our brains are hardwired for stories and it's important to unpack the stories. And before you take any action, the first thing to do is ask yourself, are you in danger right now in this moment? Right? Fortunately, with my clients sharing the stories, they were talking about something that was coming up and what their brains were dress rehearsing. They weren't in that tragedy moment. It may be harder, especially if you haven't practiced the skill set, to figure out how to go through this process when you are in a place of fear and you are in danger. Right? And so that's why what's the work you do ahead of time so that you can be prepared? Right? If you're not in danger right now, then you can ask yourself, what are you afraid of? and doing it with empathy, right? Where you can take perspective of the stories you're telling yourself and then remind yourself of what is really true. So as you step into the arena, fear will most likely continue to ignite. After you've done all this work, you're going to step into the arena. My client will go and have this interview. And as he goes into that, all that fear is going to come up, right? But just like, as I reminded my students, Remind yourself what you know about yourself, no matter what, you know, and that's what I did with preparing with my client for his interview. We reminded himself what he knew about himself, no matter what, and to take that in with him. And it's usually like one or two sentences because you're not going to remember a whole lot when you're going into these arenas. And what I knew about my students in my beginning swim class was that they could put their feet on the ground and stand up. And my friend, you can too. What is your truth? And you get that by answering the question, what do I know about myself no matter what? Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. 
And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.